on staff, I just want to welcome you. And it's so great to see Pastor Kyle up here sharing about the great youth stuff coming up. Really, it's been really fun to watch him just hit the ground running. And it's an exciting time for our our students here. So uh, I might show up at mini golf this Saturday. Who knows if I'm allowed? We'll, we'll, we'll see. Okay. Or maybe. Pray about it. Okay. Um, I want to invite you to open with me to Luke 18, verse 1. That's where we're going to be together. If you need a Bible, no problem. There are some on the seats in front of you. Again, Luke 18, verse 1 is where we're going to start. We are in our summer series in the parables of Jesus, where we're looking at these stories that Jesus taught about himself, about God, about relating to God, about life in the kingdom of God and how we are to live. There are these stories that uh, capture our imagination and our attention and uh, cause us to chew a little bit on these truths and what Jesus is trying to teach us. Uh, It's good news this morning that we're in Luke 18 and a new parable because for the last three weeks we've been in the same story, uh, the parable known as the prodigal son. We spent three straight weeks there, so it's a new day, a new story for us, so we're going to jump in in just a minute. But as you're finding it, uh, you should know about uh, Amber and I, we are proud dog owners, and yeah, everybody say, aww, yeah, that's our course, a daughter, Zoe, and our uh, other child, Coda, who we love dearly. If you've met her, she, you know, she's very affectionate. She will maul you and attack you out of love. We're still working on that a little bit, how she jumps up, but that's another story. Um, We got her when she was just a few months old in Colorado. She was four months old. Now she's a few years old, and we just adore her. She is great, but we've learned as dog owners something that maybe you have learned if you have a dog, is that sometimes they can't decide whether they want to be inside or outside. And so if you don't have a doggy door, that means that you will be getting up frequently to let them in or out, and then you'll turn around a few minutes later and once again let them in or out. Again, if you have a doggy door, you're set. But for Coda, we didn't have a doggy door, and we had this big sliding glass door in our first apartment with Coda that had a little balcony and it overlooked kind of the complex that we lived in. And so she would regularly sit by the door and tap it with her paw as her gentle gesture, hey, let me out, humans, or let me in, humans, depending. But we knew that eventually she would just want to reverse that and come back in or go back out, depending. And so sometimes we would do what any wise dog owner would do we would ignore it, right, right? And don't, okay, don't feel bad for her. We were responsible dog owners. We still would take her out to the bathroom and play and all kinds of, this was just like that extra little, we're hanging around the house and she just wants to go outside or come inside. It's not a big deal. So we say, maybe we'll just ignore it and she'll forget about it. And she won't make us get off the couch because we're tired, it's the end of a long day, we're reading, we're watching a movie, we're talking, whatever, we don't want to get up and let her out or let in, so maybe she'll forget about it. But the thing about Coda is that she was persistent, and she would not forget about it. And so if we did not get up to let her in, guess what would happen? Tap again on the glass, and then tap again 
on the glass. And then eventually, if we still didn't get up, she would get up on her two back legs and with both front paws, give a little tap, 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 until we let her in. No joke. She was persistent. And so eventually, we would say, fine, okay, get up and let her in or let her out. And then again, just we do the same thing a few minutes later. Can I get an amen? You guys can relate to that process. She wore us down. The reason I mentioned this is as I was thinking about this, reflecting on that reality, I realized that sometimes that's how we think prayer works. That's how we think prayer works sometimes, right? God is uninterested. He's occupied. He's busy on his heavenly couch. And we have something we need or desire, and so we just tap on the glass of the door to get his attention, and if he doesn't listen, we're going to tap on the glass again, and we just have to make enough noise or enough, uh, again, taps on the glass, do it long enough or loud enough so that God will eventually say, fine, enough already, and he responds. We have to twist his arm, as it were, to get him to answer our prayer. Sometimes that's what we assume. See, this parable Jesus shares in Luke 18 is about prayer, and it's going to challenge that assumption. It's going to challenge and force us to reconsider the way that prayer works and God's heart towards us in prayer. So let's look at it together in Luke 18. Verse 1 says this, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought, and there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. So there it is. There's our parable. Jesus sets it up, and there's two characters, right? There is this judge and this widow. And the widow is down and out. She's in some sort of crisis. We don't know exactly what's going on, but there's some injustice uh, being done to her. Some hardship has come upon her. And in the ancient world, widows were vulnerable. They had very few provisions, protections, ways to provide for themselves in society. And so she comes to this judge, someone who would be in a position to do something about her problem, a judge who was responsible for upholding the law, for doing justice, for doing what was right, especially protecting the vulnerable and those who were being oppressed. And she says to the judge, help me. Give me justice. I am being oppressed. I have an adversary. But the judge refuses. He doesn't want to help her. So he says, no. But eventually she keeps coming to him 
and she wears him down because eventually, not for her sake, not because she care, he cares about her or because he wants to do what is right, he cares about justice. No, simply to avoid being bothered or annoyed any further. He says, enough! Have it your way, and he gives her help. So, in one sense, the meaning of the parable, the takeaway from this, is fairly straightforward and on the surface. The widow shows us, by example, that persistence pays off. Persistence in prayer can pay off. And the text even tells us that's part of the point, right? Verse 1, look at it with me. Jesus told his disciples a parable, and then Luke gives us a little help here, to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Okay, this is like when a teacher gives you the answer before the test. We don't have to wonder, what's this parable about? Because Luke says, I'm going to help you out here. This is told so that they should always pray and not give up. Here's what it's about. Now here's the story. And so, very simply, we should pray with persistence. We should pray and not give up. We should continue to bring our requests to God even when it seems like he doesn't hear them, even when it seems like our prayers are not being answered. We should not give up. We should pray with persistence. This is one of the reasons we have a weekly prayer meeting here at FBC. I'm not sure if you're aware of it, but every Thursday at 8.30 in the morning in my office, the staff gathers and it's open to anyone in the church to come and pray with us for our church, to pray for our city, to pray what God is doing here. We want to do that every single week. It used to be at 6.30, but then people were grumpy. There was no coffee. It was really rough. <laughs> And so we said, we, we, we got to change something. And so now it's 8.30. You get a little extra sleep, and then you can come and join us if you're able. No one brings coffee or anything, but you, hopefully you had your cup before then. But we want to live out what Jesus tells us to do here, to pray with persistence, to continue to come before the Lord and really believe that the work God is doing in this church uh, and in our town, in Benicia, in our city, in our region, is not going to be accomplished through human strength alone, through our uh, wisdom, our cleverness, our strategy. It's not about what we can do. It's about being dependent upon the Lord and trusting Him to come and change hearts, transform people's lives, transform people's families. And so we're really trusting and relying on God to come and do what only he can do. And so we come, we pray for you, pray for this church, we pray for you as you're going about your week, that God would empower you, fill you with his spirit, to be witnesses to Christ out in the workplace and in your neighborhoods and in your families. So we're praying, trusting that God will respond. And so again, you're welcome to come and join us. We'd love to have you come every week, Thursday, 8.30. Again, not 6.30. 8.30. So you're invited to that. But here's the deal. Whether or not you come to Thursday morning prayer at First Baptist Church at 8.30 in the morning each week, the question that this text raises is, are we praying with persistence? Are each of us individually coming before the Lord, continually, regularly, with our needs and our hearts? Are we praying for 
people in our lives, who are our spouses or our kids or our friends or our family? Are we praying that God would transform people's hearts, that God would help people see who he is and respond to the gospel? Are we praying for justice and peace in our world? Often we look out at what's going on in our nation or globally and our hearts break or we have fear and worry about the future because of violence or war or injustice or all kinds of things going on in the world. And so do we just throw up our hands and give up and say the problems are too big to think about or to pray about? Or do we continue to lift up those situations and those people and our leaders on a global scale and say, God, would you be at work here? We need you, Lord. We're praying for peace. We're praying for justice to be done. We're praying for your kingdom to come, Lord. As we think about our core commitments here as a church, worship, connect, grow, go, we're reminded that we're not here just to worship God and enjoy him and connect with one another and have a great time eating food and hanging out and grow in our faith and learn great stuff about Jesus. We should do all those things, but we move to this fourth commitment to go, right? To go out and engage the needs of the world with the gospel, to share the message of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection, to invite people to come to know him for the forgiveness of sins and new life eternal life now and forever in Christ. We also are looking to be salt and light in the world, right? To love people sacrificially, to be generous with our neighbors, to not only speak the words of the gospel to those who need it, but also to show the love of God through our actions, through how we live. And so as we seek to go, are we praying with persistence that God would open doors, that God would give us wisdom and opportunities to share and love, that God would use us in the lives of those we come across. This is not going to be accomplished in our own strength. It's not our mission. It's God's mission to reach the world. And so, are we praying that he would use us? You may know the name St. Augustine, St. Augustine, the great North African theologian, leader in the church, scholar back in the 300s, the late 300s AD. He wasn't always a Christian. Actually, he grew up going to church a little bit, but then he, as he became an adult, walked away from the church, walked away from his faith. He was a, a brilliant mind, very highly Educated, He went the way of secular philosophy, wanted nothing to do with Jesus, nothing to do with the church, was living an immoral life in a number of ways for years and years and years and years. But then, in his 30s, he became a believer. He had this transformative encounter with Jesus and became one of the most influential Christians in all of history. So much so that we however many centuries later, still know his name and know his work. One of his most famous works was The Confessions, one of the earliest sort of autobiographies where he explained and explored his own journey away from the faith and then coming back to faith in Christ. And one of the key pieces he notes in his own transformation and in his own return to the Lord was the faithful persistent prayer 
of his mom. His mother's name was Monica. Again, she was a believer. The rest of the family uh, were not. And she, for years, years, years and years, prayed for her son with incredible consistency and persistence, asking God to be gracious to her son, asking God to get a hold of Augustine's heart. For years, she saw no fruit. For years, she saw no change. But eventually, he became a believer. And again, not just any believer, but one of the most gifted authors, teachers, leaders in the history of the church. And so we have his legacy, his influence, in part because of the persistent prayer of his mom. And so what are you praying persistently for? What are you regularly bringing before the Lord? Because God has set up his universe in such a way that there are certain things that will not happen unless we pray. God, in his sovereignty, has decided to accomplish his purposes and his will in the world in conjunction with the prayers of his people. So there are certain things that will not come to pass if we do not ask the Lord. There are certain things that will not happen in your life, in your family, if we do not bring them before the Lord. God's chosen to work that way. And it's interesting in this parable that Jesus wants us to relate to this widow. She's being mistreated. She's suffering some injustice. She's worried. She's not sure how her situation is going to work out. Hopefully this can be encouraging to us when we see her because we're reminded that the downtrodden are not forgotten by God. Those who are pushed down in the world, those who are overlooked in the world are not forgotten by God. Our world seems to cater to the strong, to the powerful, to the successful, to those who are exciting and charming. And sometimes we think Christianity is supposed to be the same. Always about the powerful, the influencers, the movers, and the shakers, exciting and flashy. But if we're honest, we know that life doesn't always look like that, especially as a Christian. We know seasons of worry and struggle where we can look at this widow and we can relate with difficulty in life, with pain, with loss, with sorrow, with times where we cry out, Lord, help me. Lord, why? We don't always understand the things that come. So Jesus, in this widow, is reminding us that God is for us. He's for the widows. He's for the orphans. He's for the refugees and the abused and the forgotten, those who are vulnerable. Jesus is saying, if you find yourself in that place, cry out to God. He hears. He sees. He knows. Continue to pray to him with persistence. Do not give up. So we can look to this widow as a great example of persistence and how it pays off. And sometimes what we do when we come to this parable is we'll stop there. We'll say, hey, great job, widow. 
We should be like the widow. That's what Jesus wants us to know. So if you're not praying, pray more. Get to it. We ought to be people of prayer regularly. Be like the widow. And there's truth there. That's part of what Jesus is trying to remind us of and move us towards. But the key to understanding this parable is actually not found in the widow. Again, I would argue the key to understanding this parable is actually not found by looking at the widow. Rather, it's found in looking at the judge. Here's what I mean. Look at the text with me. Verse 6. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Okay, so notice, as Jesus is wrapping up this story in verse 6, he does not say, listen to what the widow says. He doesn't say that. He says, no, listen to what the unjust judge says. So at the end of his parable, he says, what I want you to remember is the judge. That's what I want you to remember. Look at him. See, that's kind of strange. Saying, look at this evil, corrupt, grumpy, inconsiderate judge. And notice how even he eventually responds to the needs of the widow. He hears her needs and he eventually responds. How much more then will God hear you and respond to you, his chosen ones, those who belong to him, those who through faith in Christ belong to God and are adopted as his sons and daughters, if even this wicked, inconsiderate judge heard the request of the widow and responded, how much more will God hear your cries? How much more will your father hear your voice? And so the point of this parable is that God is not like the judge. God's not like the judge at all. And so if even this judge will move in favor of this widow, how much more will God hear your prayers? And so the key to persistent prayer is not just knowing that we should pray more. The key to persistent prayer is knowing who we are praying to. That's the key. And so we look at this text and we can notice God is not like the judge in several ways. The first, maybe the most obvious, is that God is not bothered by our prayers like the judge. He is eager. He's eager to hear your prayers. Okay, look at the judge again in verse 4. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps what? Bothering me. She keeps bothering me. I will see that she gets justice. This widow, she's frustrating. She's annoying. She won't get out of my hair. Is that how God is towards us? Of course not. 
Right? The scriptures show us over and over again how God feels towards his people. Psalm 34, verse 15, which actually was repeated in First Peter a few months ago we studied. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are what? Attentive to their cry. God is attentive to us to hear our prayers, eager to listen, eager to hear from us. He invites us to come to him with our needs. He's not like me with puppy Coda, saying maybe she'll forget about it. Maybe if I just ignore her long enough, she'll stop bothering me. That's not how God operates. Or see Jesus' words in Matthew 7, verse 9. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? God, our Father, wants to give good gifts to his children. And this is genius. Jesus' words here are so perfect. He's like, even you guys know how to give good gifts to your children. We're evil and corrupt and have sin in our lives and all sort of divided hearts and motivations. Even we know how to give good gifts to our children. If our children ask us for a fish, we're not going to be like, here's a snake. Ha, ah, deal with that. Or if our children ask us for Cheerios for breakfast, you don't say, here's a bowl of spiders instead. Deal with that. Or if your children want a healthy, nutritious dinner. You don't say, how about I let a pack of wild raccoons in the house? And you can deal with that instead. Does anyone do that? <laughs> Hope not. Right? His point, you know how to give good gifts to your children. You want to give good gifts to your children. How much more, then, does God, your Father in heaven, our good Father, our perfect Father, how much more does God want to bless you and be good to you? So Jesus reminds us of the heart of God, the same way a, a father or a mother cares for their children, loves them, desires to hear from them, their pain and their struggles. Honestly, I, I know some parents who desire nothing more than to simply hear the concerns and needs and struggles of their children. Seriously, I know some parents where you, that's what you want above anything else is just if your kids would come to you with their concerns, their needs, their struggles, you want to help them, right? And I think about my own daughter, Zoe. She's only two years old now, but eventually drama will come. Hard, <laughs> hardship will come. And honestly, one of the biggest fears in my life thinking about being a parent is that she one day will go through something, some hardship, some pain, and she won't tell me about it. And she won't let me know. She won't let me walk with her. She won't let me help her. Like it, it breaks my heart. It terrifies me to think that she will go through something, say, I, I, I'm not going to bring this to my dad. I, I can't share this with him. I can't trust him with this. I don't want his help. That, that's hard to think about. So God is a good father, eager to hear our prayers. We're not bothering him with our prayers. Now, that's not a guarantee that he'll answer our prayers in the exact way and timing that we want or expect. That's a separate conversation. But we can see the heart of God. He's not indifferent. He's not bothered like the judge. That's the first difference. 
The second difference is that God is not unjust. But instead, he is just. And God's not unjust like this judge. Look again at verse 4 with me. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice. Okay, the judge doesn't fear God. He doesn't care about people. He's not concerned about doing what is right. He's not concerned about upholding the law. He's not concerned about protecting the vulnerable. Is that how God is? No. Scripture shows us over and over again the righteousness of God. Specifically, verse 3 of Deuteronomy 32, it says this. Moses speaking here. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect. All his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong. Upright and just is he. So simply put, God always does what is right. He always works for justice. J.I. Packer, great theologian, put it this way. The character of God is the guarantee that all wrongs will be righted someday. When the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed, arrives, retribution will be exact. No problems of cosmic unfairness will remain to haunt us. God is the judge, so justice will be done. So we don't have to wonder as we look out at the world and, and the pain and the abuse and the injustice done that we see, we don't have to wonder, does God care? Will God fix this? Will God do what is right? We don't have to wonder because he will. The scriptures assure us. That's a truth for us to hold on to because sometimes we look around and honestly it feels like those who are powerful, those who are wicked in different ways, get away with whatever they want. It feels like people get away with things all the time. They're not held accountable. And sometimes we think, God, don't you see this situation? God, don't you see what this person is doing? God, don't you notice? Aren't you going to do something about this? So we trust that one day all people will be held accountable before God, the righteous judge of all the earth, and he will do what is right. Even if things look out of balance now, God can be fully trusted to execute justice in his timing when all is said and done. The last difference between God and this judge in our parable is that God is not self-serving. He is self-sacrificing. Again, look at the judge in verse 4. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. So, the judge is self-serving. He's motivated primarily by what? Self-interest. He doesn't want this widow to keep bothering him. It's not that he cares for her or that he cares about 
justice, but it's that she keeps bothering me. I don't want her to harm me, and so I'll do what she wants. So I'm going to ask, is that what God is like? No. No, not at all. Scriptures, again, remind us, especially as we look to the cross of Christ, to the gospel, that God is self-sacrificing. We look to the message of Jesus, that gospel we celebrate every week, summarized in Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So rather than being self-serving, rather than doing what was easiest and most comfortable for him, God was self-sacrificing. Jesus came and he laid down his life for us. And he has assured us of his love for us. So we, again, do not have to wonder, does God care for me? Does God love me? Is God for me? We can look to the cross and see that God has already shown us how he feels about us. He's already demonstrated his love for us on the cross through the death of Christ. He has given us eternal life, rescue from sin and death and judgment. Salvation, new hearts adopted into the family of God, indwelt by the Holy Spirit. New life now and the hope of eternal life forever. God as our Father in His good world. And so we look to the gospel, to the cross of Christ, and are reminded of the heart of God. And these promises are for whoever would trust in Him. We're all invited to put our faith in Jesus, to repent of our sins and trust in Christ for forgiveness, to be reconciled to this God who loves us. I encourage you, if you're here this morning and that's not a decision that you have made, again, the invitation is for you to trust in Jesus and follow him today. So Jesus is saying in this parable, Look at the judge. Look at this judge. If this judge listened to the widow, how much more will your father listen to you? The judge was bothered by the widow, but God is eager to hear your prayers. The judge was unjust. He didn't care about doing what is right. God will always do what is right. And the judge was self-serving, but God was self-sacrificing. So the key to persistent prayer, again, is knowing who you're praying to. Because if you're like me, prayer can be a struggle, honestly. Sometimes prayer is hard. Sometimes I feel like I don't pray nearly as much or as often as I should. Sometimes I don't look forward to prayer the way I should. Maybe you can relate. Sometimes maybe we give up on prayer or we get frustrated with prayer because we don't see the results or the response that we expect or that we want. What this parable challenges us to consider is that maybe our lack of prayer is not an issue of willpower or discipline in our lives. Maybe our lack of prayer is because we have a distorted view of God. Again, maybe our lack of prayer is not because we need more willpower. It's not because we need more discipline in our lives just to try harder. Maybe our lack of prayer is because we have a distorted view of God. 
And we don't truly see God for who he is. And so we have to ask ourselves, how do we view God? Is he good? Is he for us? Is he just? Will he do what is right? Do we believe that he's at work in our lives? Do we believe that his timing is right? Do we trust him? Because if we don't believe those things about God, I could tell you to pray more. Say, look, look at the widow. She prayed a bunch, so go get to it. Pray a lot more. Come on. I could tell you that, but if you don't believe that God is good or you don't have a healthy view of God, then you wouldn't actually live that out. You wouldn't actually go and pray. Like if you told a child that thought their father was angry and irresponsible and didn't love them, if you told that child, hey, you should really spend more time with your dad, they would say, okay, I don't want to. I'm not going to because of how they view their dad. But if we have a healthy view of our father and see him as good, just, loving for us, then that'll change everything. If we know who we're praying to, then we'll be persistent in prayer. And so let's be persistent in prayer, but first let's make sure we know who it is we're praying to. As we continue in our service here before we take communion and sing, I wanted to just leave some space for us to pray. Sometimes life is so busy, life is so noisy, we don't always, again, take the time just to slow down and be with the Lord. And so we're just going to have a few minutes here, a little music's going to play in the background. I just invite you, in the quietness of your own heart, to spend some time with the Lord in prayer. It's a time where you can share and confess sin, maybe to him, that he's bringing to your attention, that you need to confess. You can bring your requests and your heart before the Lord. What are the things that are weighing heavy on you that you need to lift up to him? If you want to, you can sit and just listen, just be with him in the stillness and quietness of the moment. However you need to use this time, we'll take just a few minutes to do that together.